Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. Are, you guys are super awake. This is great. I, I love the second service because I heard somebody yelling already. And first service, I had like three people doing, like even responding. So this is great. You guys are, you guys are better. You're my favorites. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I don't know what to do now. All right. <laughs> I mean, we might do that. Um, hey. Hey, so um, we've got some really exciting things going on around here. One of them is this. We've got um, plans in place, and they're now being sent out to consultants and stuff to, uh, to expand the, into the rest of this building. If you didn't, yeah. If you didn't know it, we're only using about half of the building, and so we've got plans to, uh, to fill out the rest of the building, and hopefully that will be very soon. The, the great thing is this. We already have all the money we need to do it, and that's a miracle. Like, that's awesome, isn't it? The bad news is it's in your pockets. So, 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 uh, if you've ever been around me, you know I'm not. I don't talk about money very often. But just expect over the next few months, I'll be talking about money because we are going to do a big offering, a big give, and just believe the Lord will bring in enough for us to be able to get the down payment on the building and uh, and finish out the rest of the building. That'll be the second week in November. And, uh, and I just believe that there's, there's just something special that happens when all the people come together and they give what they can, and, uh, and collectively we can make big things happen. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I start talking about money and only four of you respond now. You're like, oh my, whatever. Hey, so I feel in my spirit Earlier this summer, I just felt this drawing from the Lord to, um, I know this sounds really cliche and it sounds really simple, but I felt a drawing to come back to the Lord. I, I, just, I just feel an urgency from the Lord to, to just have his people return towards him. I mean, for me, I, I, I just, I feel this desire to not just live the Christian faith on the surface level, but to truly dive into the things of God. Because at the core of this thing, I really believe that, that we, we're not meant to just have uh, Christianity that is a mental agreement, that is just a set of beliefs we hold. And it is, it does involve a set of beliefs we hold, but it also includes a transformed life a transformed mind, a life that has been surrendered to Christ. And, and I don't know about you, but as for me, guys, I don't want to just 
go through the motions of going to church. If that's all I was going to do, I wouldn't be here right now. But for me, I, I want real transformation, real tangible transformation in my life. And when we look in the scripture where that transformation often happens is in a place that's called an altar. And we're doing a series called Altars right now. Uh, altars are, in the scripture, they were either outdoor or indoor places where people would, essentially, they would erect a monument and, and then surrender themselves before God through sacrifice or whatever it might be on that altar. And right now, somebody, uh, they're thinking, okay, well, Jesus is the final altar, message done. <clears throat> Got it, done, finished, close the door. Jesus was offered as a sacrifice that pays the penalty for all sin. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, you find salvation. But when we place ourselves on the altar, we discover transformation. It's through the work of Jesus and through the power of Jesus. But it is when we surrender our own lives, our own agendas, our own insecurities, our own struggles at the altar of the cross that Jesus transforms our life. Because so many of us, we, we, we live for God. We, we're believers. We're Christians. We, we, yay. Like, I'm, we're, we're Christians. We, we vote the way Christians vote. We're American. We're Christian. But can I say you can be Christian in name, but not be Christian inwardly? Can, can I say that you can, you, can, you can have the appearance of godliness, but deny the power of it? And for me and for this house, I, I, I want to be around a group of people that have the transforming power of God moving in and through their lives. And that happens when we surrender areas of our life at an altar. I, I grew up in the kind of church where we actually had um, this, this front of the platform is what we called an altar. We would do what's, what's called an altar call. So that, what that means is like the preacher would, would huff and puff. And he would preach, and he would preach, and he'd snort, and he'd buck, and he'd do anything he could until you finally decided you were going to come to the altar. That, that's the kind of church I grew up in. And, and so often as kids, like, you finally, once you understand, he's just going to keep talking until I go to the altar. You're just like, five minutes in, let's get, like, we got lunch. We're going to Shoney's afterwards. So you just, like, show up and just go to the altar now, right? But I really believe that there's some... Um, there's a shift in the body of Christ right now. Yes. I, I, I think the American church has been lulled asleep by casual Christianity. That, that we, we have really just accepted this idea that, that as long as it smells sweet, as long as we talk about blessings and the, the benefits of God, we're good. And I want you to know, we, we preach the benefits and we preach the blessings of God, but there's also a thing called an altar. There's a thing called the altar. In the scripture, 322 times the Lord refers to an altar. An altar is a place where heaven meets earth. It's the place where restoration is found. It's, it's a place of surrender. An altar is the place where we acknowledge our desperate need for a savior. It's no longer a place that we attempt to gain salvation, but it is the place that we recognize our need for salvation. It's the place we recognize our need for transformation and a change inwardly. And can I submit to you today 
that what you're looking for in your life right now, what you're trying to fill the void with, whether it's through an addiction or through a relationship or uh, through, through whatever it is that you, you think is, is the thing you need right now, the true answer for your soul is found at an altar. What I'm saying is, if you're looking for lasting change, I, I, can, I can preach promise and I can preach blessing. I'm, we'll do it next week. But if you want lasting change in your life, it happens at an altar. If you want restoration in your marriage, it happens at an altar. If you want rest for your soul, it happens at an altar. If you want a reset on a ministry that you had hopes of years ago, it happens at an altar. If you want healing in your mind, it happens at an altar. If you have prayers that you want to see answered, I promise you it happens when we surrender it at an altar. And I, I know this isn't like, this is old-fashioned preaching today. Hey, hey, we're going to preach old school. But I'm telling you, there's something special about finding an altar before the Lord. Saying, God, I surrender parts of my life. I surrender my life to you. So today, I want to talk about going back to and going and restoring an altar. Uh, Clark already mentioned it, that we're going to talk about the kings. Israel was a, a nation that was ruled by a theocracy. What that means is God led the nation himself. He, he instituted two sort of legal people. One was a prophet that God would use to speak to the people and to give direction. The other was a judge that God used to uh, bring the people back towards him or to even defend them against other nations. And so that's how they operated with this this dual system of a prophet and a judge. But the children of Israel decided that that was not what they wanted. They wanted something more than what God had offered. And so what they asked for was that God would present them a king. And even though God warned them of the implications of a king, he granted that they would have a king. How many know that when you give somebody authority, it can become a bad thing. Yeah. And when you give somebody a, a, an untamed level of power, it becomes a very dangerous situation. And this is what ended up happening with the children of Israel is they, they now have a king with, with ultimate power. And, and like the saying goes, ultimate power corrupts. And so the story of Israel is that there's these good kings and there's these bad kings and good kings and bad kings, but mostly just bad kings. Mostly just kings that are not doing well. And by the time we get to the 15th king of Israel, we, we see this guy named Ahaz who uh, really paints a tragic picture of what it looks like. Because the altar was the place where they discovered God. I'm just going to pause for a second. Right now, somebody might be thinking, well, why are we talking Old Testament? I'm talking Old Testament because all Scripture is given for doctrine, for reproof, for, correct, for instruction and correction and righteousness. For correction and instruction in righteousness. All Scripture. In fact, Paul says this. He says that the Old Testament stories were given to us as examples of how we might live. It says that like, they're types and shadows of the current life. What, what I'm saying is we're going to look at the kings so that you can see what our lives can and should look like. 
We're going to see what, what should change, what should be different in our lives. This is what Ahaz does. It is 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 1. Now, you can find the story of Ahaz and Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles, in 2 Kings, and in the book of Isaiah. These guys are talked about. And so Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. Now, what had happened was this, this young man, 20 years old, is, is running a nation. Can you imagine? When I was 20, like, I'm still not smart enough to run a nation. But can you imagine a 20-year-old with absolute power? And what was going on was that the nation of Israel had actually divided. It was at this point, there's two nations. We're not talking about just the people of Israel. Now we're talking about a northern and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. And this guy Ahaz was over the southern kingdom. And, and we, we see that what's going on in his world, the, the pressure points of his world are that the same people, that they have the same blood running through them, they worship the same God, they have the same sort of belief systems as him, but they're now a different nation. They're the northern nation. They're joining with Syria, and they're attacking him. They're joining with Syria, and they're attacking Isn't it amazing? People with the same blood running through their veins can be so divided that they can't find common ground. Can I just tell somebody, we all have the same blood running through our veins, and it is not God's will for us to be divided. In fact, I would say this, the, the enemy of your soul's greatest uh, attack is when he gets us to divide and isolate. That's, that's his plan for your life, is to get you divided and get you isolated. And it says of King Ahaz, as he's, he's there, it says he's, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. Church family, I, I, know, I know you might have come today for like the hoop, hoop, hoop sermon. That's next week. This is the let's build strong believers sermon. There is a theme throughout the scripture, especially the Old Testament, this theme of people who do what's right in the eyes of God and people who do what's right in the eyes in their in their own eyes because just just because you think it's right according to your education or according to your uh, worldview or according to your conscience does not necessarily mean it's right in the eyes of God what I'm saying is like, just because your teacher told you it's right doesn't mean it's right in the eyes of God. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right in the eyes of God. Just because your church says it's okay doesn't mean it's right in the eyes of God. I'm telling somebody, like, our desire should not be to fight for our own agendas, to, to try to figure out, like, well, how am I going to get mine? Our agenda should be, God, what's right in your eyes? Because I want to do whatever it is that's right in your eyes. I want to do what's right in the eyes of God. And so he did not. He was somebody in the category of he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But he walked in the ways of the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. He even made metal images for Baals. So these are false gods. He made statues for them and idols for them. 
And he made offerings in the valley of the sons of Hinnom and burned his sons as an offering. This is a king of Israel, a king who's leading the nation of the one true God. And he, he has substituted the things of God. It began with just metal idols. It began with just a little bit here and a little bit there. And sooner or later, he is now offering his own sons to the fire of Molech. There's a whole nother message there. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. This is a guy that was doing things that were not right in the eyes of God under every green tree. Under everything that had life in it, this guy was planting the weeds of idolatry throughout the nation. He was, he was turning from the things of God. And the reason I say this is because so many of us, even in our own lives, if we're not careful, we substitute the true things of God for the things of the people around us. We substitute for idols. And you say, well, we don't worship false gods. No, maybe, maybe we actually do worship false gods. You just don't recognize that that's what that is. Anything that comes above the knowledge of Christ is an idol. And so it could be that we actually put our hope, rather than placing our hope in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we'll place our hope in an advancement in our career and believe if we can just get to this point in my career, everything in my world will come in order. Or we put our hope in some sort of a political agenda. If I can just see this bill passed, then, then all things good would come on earth. And I'm telling you, it will not happen by might, and by, but it comes by the Spirit of the Lord. That's how change happens. That's how change happens. Don't be deceived. The scripture says this, God will not be mocked. Whatever you reap, you will sow. And this isn't karma. This isn't like when you do bad things, bad things happen to you. This is a biblical principle of planting and reaping, sowing and reaping. Whatever someone sows, they're going to receive it back. It's just the simple law of the harvest. And the difficulty is this, like Ahaz finds himself stressed out because the, na- the northern nation of Israel and Syria are getting ready to attack him. And he's waiting on God to deliver him. But, but God is not acting as fast as he would like him to act. Has anybody ever been there? And the difficulty is this, is that when we are stressed out, even waiting is scary. You know what I'm talking about, single person? (laughs) Even waiting is scary. And because of that, we'll make decisions that we might regret for a lifetime. Because waiting is scary. 
You, you feel a call towards ministry. You feel God calling you into something. And, and there's a difference between when God calls you into an area and when you step into the area. And, and that gap, it, it scares us. Even the waiting scares us when we get stressed and, and we don't know what to do. Or, or maybe you've, you've prayed a prayer and you're, you're waiting for God to reveal an answer of some sort to that prayer. And you're like, why didn't God answer the prayer like Amazon right now? I'm telling you, he does part. He does like he does the, the road with the truck. That's what he does. The parse, postal parse or whatever it's called. That the, the he does the one that's always late. But when it shows up, you're always like, it's always right on time. That's how he works. Like we get scared when we're stressed because the waiting is hard. Like you went on that first date, and then you're waiting for a phone call back. You're not sure. I'm telling somebody in the waiting, don't do like Ahaz. What Ahaz did in the waiting was he began to look somewhere else. Because for whatever reason, he didn't believe that God was truly powerful. And therefore, God could take care of his own business. He began to look elsewhere. For whatever reason, we might believe that God is not good. And so we start looking to another person to somehow fill the emotional voids in our life. I'm telling you, in the waiting, hold on because God is always faithful. So Ahaz, in, in his, his desire, he, 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 he really he comes across like so many of us. We want the blessings of God, right? We, we want, like, we just, we just want the blessings of God. But we don't want the obedience of God. Obedience? He said that in church? You're supposed to preach about promise and blessings, preacher. No, 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 no. Listen, if your preacher doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, he's not preaching yet. The blessings of God are true. The promises of God are yea and amen. He's gonna, but, but the problem is this, we often want, we want all blessings, little obedience. Right? We, we want all the, all the good stuff. We just, it's like I told my son yesterday, I said, he signed up for football. So football practice, it's already begun, but he's supposed to start Monday. And I said, hey, he said he needed cleats and a mouth guard. I said, hey, you get the lawn mode. This is yesterday. Get the lawn mode, and we'll go get you your cleats and a mouth guard. He's like, cool, Dad. Let's do it. I said, all right. It needs to be done by 3 o'clock. So if it's not done by 3, you're not getting cleats, and you're not getting a mouth guard. You're going to have to wait. You're going to miss the first day of practice. So I'm off at the church and doing stuff, and then I end up going back home. It's like right before three, and this, <laughs> this dude has taken four hours to do the lawn. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, he has been, it is the long, like in the history of lawns being done, this is the longest time it's ever taken to do it. And he finally gets it done. Why? Because he understands something about dad. You're going to get the blessing, but I expect the obedience too. When it comes to God, what we often do is we say, hey, God, like, let's just do, let's meet in the middle. Like, let's do fitty-fitty. You know what I mean? Like, come on, God. Let's do fitty-fitty, God. Like, like, you give me a little bit of blessings, I'll give you a little bit of obedience. And that's not how God works. God doesn't meet halfway. God's looking for whole obedience, and he's going to pour down the blessing, but he expects whole obedience. Yeah. I'm not talking about how you get saved. This is not how you get saved. This is how you act with him once you are saved. And so we, we see 
we see uh, Ahaz. It goes on, it says, in his time, in the time of his distress. He was stressed out, you guys. Anybody been stressed out lately? Anybody had some pressures from life? <laughs> yeah, that's what's going on with Ahaz. In his time of distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. Because that's what we do if we're not careful. When we get stressed out, we can turn farther and farther away from him, looking for solutions outside of him. This, king, this same King Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. Isn't that crazy? He sacrifices to the gods of the people that conquered him. Because in the waiting, when we're, if we're not careful, what happens is in our minds, we think, maybe God isn't sufficient. Maybe my God doesn't know what he's doing, and maybe the other people know what they're doing, so I'm going to take my hope out of God and place my hope in what the world tells me I should put place my hope in. This is why we find believers, we find Christians who have greater allegiances to other things rather than the kingdom of God because we truly, like at the end of the day, we believe that our hope really comes from a presidential candidate. We truly believe that our hope comes from some sort of legislation. Our hope comes from a career. Our hope comes from all sorts of other things. And I'm telling you, church, listen, your hope does not come from anything outside the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. He's the only source. So he put his trust in worldly solutions. He began to grab the idols of Baal, the idols of Molech, the idols of the people of Damascus, and he began to place them inside the temple of God. He, he began to replace the way he worshipped with the way the people around him worshipped. And he cluttered up the house of God. It's really supposed to be simple. But we can make it complicated and confusing, can't we? Yeah. Then Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the Lord, or the vessels of the house of God, and he cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. This, what is he doing here? What he's doing is he's taking all the instruments of worship and he's taking off the pieces of them that he doesn't see need to be there any longer. He's carving off chunks of candlesticks to see at what point does a candlestick stop becoming a candlestick? How much of this can I remove before it becomes something else? How much can I take away from the trumpets of Zion before the trumpets are no longer a trumpet? He was, he was being, let me just use a phrase, 
he was using the same techniques that the Renaissance age used called deconstruction. Which I get it, it's trendy and it's cute, but I promise you it will take you down a road if, if it is not held un, under, you go down a road, you go too far. Because what happens is we, we begin, we, we think we're being critical thinkers, but the truth is it is all based in cynicism. And we wish to evaluate and probe and prod all the pieces of the tabernacle to, for any perceived failures that we might observe. And rather than laying the blame where it lies, and that's in humanity's sin or people who have fallen short, what we do is we're looking for where in the system, what in the articles of the temple is missing or is wrong? What can we remove and still keep it somewhat the same to make it more palatable? And if we're not careful, we'll take the God of grace and truth and mercy out of the driver's seat and we'll put the God of cynicism in the driver's seat of our life. And then the next thing it says he did is he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made himself altars in every quarter of Jerusalem In every city of Judah, he made high places to make offering to other gods, provoking to anger the Lord, the God of his fathers. So the final thing he does is he actually closes the door on worship. This is what happens. We begin to think God isn't enough, I need to add to him. And when that isn't enough, then we think, well, maybe I need to like rechange everything inside of my walk with God because that's not enough. And finally, doors close. And so for 16 years, this guy Ahaz, bit by bit, incrementally changed the complete order of worship in the kingdom of God until the doors of the house of God were closed, and every piece that was used in worship had been disassembled. I don't know if you've been there, but I've been there. There's been times in my life when I became so critical, so cynical, because somebody disappointed me, because I I didn't see something happen the way I thought it should happen became so cynical that even the gates of worship closed in my life. But what's so cool about the story is that, that God doesn't end the story here because where iniquity abounds, grace abounds more. Like where struggle is, God shows up with restoration every time. And so when you flip the page to the very next chapter, we discover a new character. And it's the son of this man Ahaz. His name is Hezekiah. It says this in verse 1. It says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old. And he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. And then it does something very unique in Scripture. It says this. His mother's name was Abihah, the daughter of Zechariah. We're talking about a patriarchal culture. 
We're talking about a world that talks about men, and for some reason, the author throws in Abiah, this woman. Why does he do it? Because in the middle of all these kings that are slowly bringing the people of Israel down away from God, and, and all the, 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 the people that are walking away from God, there is some woman named Abiah. And in her home, they might not have been living for God, but in her heart, she said, I'm going to live for God. And this mama said, I'm going to change this one little life. He's not going to go the way of his fathers. He's not going to go the way of the world, but he's going to live for God. Like Joshua, she's saying, as for me and this boy, we're going to live for God. Come on, there's a Mother's Day message right there, isn't there? It doesn't matter how many times daddy was a bad example. Mama, you can change a generation by influencing your kids. It doesn't matter how many times that dad let dad promise something and didn't commit to it. If a mama steps up and says, we're going to have a household of faith, that mama can change a nation. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. Come on. It says this, and in the first, so he's, he's 25 years old. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Come on. He didn't have somebody come to him and say, hey, this is how we, you need a nice, smooth transition plan from iniquity to righteousness. He didn't say, you got you to gotta get all your ducks in a row before we start opening worship back up in your life. That's not what he did. He said, month one, day one, here's what we're doing. We're opening back up the doors of the, of the worship in our lives. Like, in fact, the scripture says he, he lays the doors with gold. He, he covers them in gold. He, he says, this may not have been important to people before, but as for me and as for my house, worshiping God is going to be a central piece. Come on, I'm just telling somebody today, you, you may feel far from God right now. All it takes is on the first, the first day, you just say, I'm going to open that door. Yeah. I don't know what that door looks like. That's fine. Open the door. And God will reveal himself to you. That's what he does. He brought in the priests and the Levites and he assembled them in the square on the east. And he said to them, hear me, Levites. Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what is evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and they've turned away their faces from the inhabitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and they put out the lamps and they have not burned incense or offering in the holy place to the God of Israel. I want to just encourage somebody right now that if, if you want God to move in your life, it is as simple as opening the door. Scripture says this in Revelation. Jesus is on the outside. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. All you've got to do is open the door. Say, so God, I'm, I'm available. I'm open to whatever you have for me. Like Whatever it is, I'm going to just open the door. says it took them seven days to clean the temple just to get to the gate. Not even inside the temple yet. Seven days just to clean the court because it had so much clutter and so much junk in it. How many of us, our faith is in Jesus, we love him, but we've allowed so much clutter 
so much junk in. And what we really need to do is have a garage sale. So he opens the door, and then the next thing he does is this. It says, all the utensils that King Ahaz discarded in his reign when he was faithless, we have made ready and we have consecrated. And behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. I just want to tell you, you're never going to have answers to all the questions. That's why this thing is called faith. You're never going to have solutions to all the theodicies of God. But at some point, you've got to be willing to say, the pieces of my walk with God that have to do with worshiping him, I'm, I'm just going to implement them in my life. I remember I was going through a season where I, I struggled. I didn't know if I believed in God or not. I was in Bible school, and I was struggling. Do I even believe you? And I went up into the mountains, into the Sierra Mountains, way up in the mountains, climbed across this log across the river and up on top of a cliff. And I sat up there and I was crying out to God, God, if you're real, I need you to show me you're real. And the silence of the mountains was his only response. I said, God, if you're real, I need you to, you need to send me a sign. You need to do something to prove to me that you're real. And he didn't give me any response until finally it was like this question inside my soul that says, do you believe I'm real? And in that moment, no one around on top of a cliff out in the Sierras, I cried out to God and said, God, I don't know all the answers, and it drives me nuts, but I know this. I believe in you. And all the cynicism and all the, the tearing down of my belief structure, I choose not to do it because I believe in you alone. And when you, in, when you restore those utensils and you say, God, those pieces of worship in my life, I'm, I'm putting them back where they are. I'm telling you, transformation begins to happen. Yeah. Begins to happen. So we restore the things in your life you do to connect to God. Just bring them back. Open the doors and then restore the utensils. So what does that mean? It means, like, begin to pray again. Like, 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 actually, this is a crazy idea. Crazy idea. I get it. Actually, stop everything you're doing and talk to God. I thought you were going to give me 17 steps to a better life. No. Restore the utensils. Actually, get your Bible out. Paper Bible. Get your Bible out. And read the, read the Bible. I'm saying, get your kids around and be like, hey, kids. Let's my kids have been on this, like, last night my son said, Dad, tell me another story from the Bible. Why? Because when you restore those pieces, the house comes back together. So, then it says, and when the burnt offering began, the songs to the Lord also began. So this is not a, a doom and gloom thing. This is a, we're going to come back to the Lord, we're going to find an altar, and then the worship begins. 
And the songs to the Lord began also, and the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. And the whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang. I love that. And the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had provided for the people. For the thing came about suddenly. That's what I love about God, is when you turn towards him, it doesn't take time. Like, the moment you open the gates and say, God, I'm just going to start bringing these things back into my life, like, it's right now that he responds. Like, the finished work of Christ is already there. It's just a matter of turning and returning to him. In fact, it took Ahaz 16 years to bring the people away from God. And it took the Levites 16 days to restore the temple. Like, like for every year, it's just a day. And I'm telling somebody today, what may have taken a lifetime to get you into the mess you're in right now? For God, it's just opening the doors. It, it's just turning towards him. And when you turn towards him, he arrives every time. He shows up every single time. As the band would come. <clears throat> Scripture says this. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. Isaiah 59. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. I think sometimes we think, why, why is God not listening to me? Why is God not answering my prayers? There's a lot of reasons in Scripture. One of them is, the Bible says that we can pray wrong. It says we can pray amiss. This is why when we pray, we ask God how we should pray. Another reason why, why prayers are not answered according to Scripture is when you dishonor your spouse. If you dishonor your spouse, the Bible says your prayers won't be answered. That doesn't sound graceful. It's Lord. But another reason why our prayers don't seem to be answered is, is because it says this, it says, Because there's iniquities have made a separation between you and God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. Can I tell somebody today that it, if you want to interact with God, it's not jumping through hoops. It's simply dealing with the iniquity and sin in our life. Iniquity is the things that separate us from God. And the way we deal with it is quite simple. We surrender to the finished work of Jesus. We lay our lives down on an altar, but it's not our lives that are consumed, it's him. In fact, let me say it like this. You may feel distant from God, but it's not because you have sin in your life. Because Jesus paid the price for all your sins. 
everything you've committed in the past that separates you from God, everything you've done today that separates you from God, and everything you're going to do tomorrow that separates you from God, Jesus already took care of it all. So it's not even really your sins that are separating you from God. It's receiving the Son, receiving the Savior that separates us. We don't have a sin issue. We have a surrender issue. For somebody in this room, in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to surrender your life to him. And when you open those doors, he's going to come in. He's going to change your world. This isn't where Hezekiah ends. There's one more part to the story that I wanted to share. It's in 2 Kings chapter 19. It says, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the, of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ears. What's going on? Remember I said that Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, was being attacked by Assyria. And as Assyria was coming, the Bible says this, in his great distress, he grew more faithless. What's going on right here is the exact same thing. The king of Assyria has come to Hezekiah, and he's actually written letters and he sent these letters, and these letters tell him all the terrible things they're going to do to him and how he stands no chance against them. But instead of becoming faithless in the face of difficulty, Hezekiah, the Bible tells us, takes these letters, and he goes to the altar that he had reestablished before God. He says, God, these words against me, they're not for me. This struggle I'm dealing with that's insurmountable, it's not for me. He says, God, I'm going to surrender before you the words, every wicked word from the king of Assyria. Because I can't handle these things myself. So he holds him and he says, God, show the world that you alone are God. I wonder if there's some people in the room right now, you've been, you've been dealing with some issues. You've been wrestling through some stuff, and right now you sense the Lord saying that you need to surrender that right now. You need to lay that down on an altar right now. Because at the end, the Bible t tells us that the prophet actually sends word to Hezekiah. And he says this, your prayer about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, God has heard it. So today, whatever you're looking for, it's found at an altar. It's found at a place of surrender before God. You're looking for hope, it's found in surrender. 
You're looking for healing, it's found in surrender. You're looking for deliverance, it's found in surrender. You're looking for salvation, it's found in surrender. Would you stand with me all across the room? I just wonder if there's anybody today that if you were honest with yourself, you would say, yes, preacher, I have brought rubble into the house of God in here. I've allowed other stuff in that doesn't belong. In fact, maybe I've closed the doors to worship in my life. But right now you're saying, I want to restore the altar. I'm going to swing those doors wide open. And everything that doesn't belong, we're going to send it packing. If that's you, maybe for you it's whatever it is. If that's you, would you just give me a hand so I can see if I'm talking to anybody today that feels like they need to surrender? I want the band to begin praying I'm just going to lead out in prayer right where you're at I want you to surrender to God that's why our music is louder so no one can hear you praying that's why the lights are dim so no one can see you crying so that whatever you feel like you need to do before God, you can do it. So right now, band, would you begin? I'm just going to lead a prayer of surrender to the Lord. Oh, my words fall short. Father, I've got nothing. Right now, I'm asking you to search me and to know me. God, I surrender to you the areas of my life that I have held hidden for years. The areas of my world that I don't show other people, the insecurities, the fears. Right now I lay them on the altar and I say, God, have your way. Have your will in my life. Lord, I surrender my own agendas, my own plans my own ideas God would you be the Lord of my life God would you consume my mind and transform my will and my desires because I want to be changed I want to be renewed I want to be restored Lord I lay my life on an altar say, God, change me however you desire. You have access to change any part of my life. Take my hate. Take my pain. Take my addictions. Take my struggles. I surrender. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. 
If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.